Parent Show, sponsored by Raiden Solicitors, award-winning specialist family lawyers. See RaidenSolicitors.co.uk. Hello and welcome to The Parents Show on Mix 92.6. I'm Lydia Elkoury and tonight is the first show back after our little summer break. So I hope you've all had wonderful summers. We can't complain about the weather for once, maybe even too hot for some of us. But we've got a great show lined up for you. And the first interview is a really important topic for a lot of people in our community in and around Harpenden and St. Albans, and that is going to university. So I'm really delighted to be joined by Marie Baker Madek, who's a local mom and whose brain I'm going to pick about what tricks and tips we have for sending our children off to university. Marie, thanks so much for joining us on The Parents Show. Well, thanks for having me too. It's a pleasure to help you out, trying to give you the best tips for your teens going to uni or going to other options. <laughs> there's a lot to consider, isn't there? There's a lot to take in. Yeah, there's been a long wait with the A-level results. So that is quite stressful for the teens, I presume, but also for the parents. And there's a fair few things to do and to prepare to start uni as smoothly as possible. So my trick is the earlier the prepare, make your list, the better it is. Great. So let, tell our parents a little bit of context. So you've got two boys. Tell us a little bit about them and where you are. Okay, correct. So I've got Louis, my eldest, our eldest, who is going to be 20 in October, going into his second year at Nottingham Trent University, studying mechanical engineering. So obviously after a year of experience via him, we have learned a lot as parents on the emotional roller coaster, but also on practical side of admin with uni, preparation for accommodation, everything, transport and everything else. So it's great for his brother, Samuel, who just got smashed his A-level results and going into his first year university choice, which is at Leeds Beckett studying sports and exercise science. So I felt that more ready this year and more prepared, more organised, but also able to help my second child or my second teen wiser but also the eldest child teen is there to help so it's great yeah so I feel like it was a stressful process waiting for the A-level results as we are we cried (laughs) I'm not afraid to say so because he smashed it because this is the cord who went through COVID didn't do the GCSE exam so for them For all these A-level students this year, it was the first time they were doing this big exam. The A-level exam is very important, but there is other opportunities and other pathways for whatever, whoever wants to do things afterwards. But uni for him has been quite smooth. He got his results and got his UCAS first uni choice right away at quarter to nine on Thursday, the 18th of August. So it went on quite quickly, quite smoothly, and we were all happy And then come the week after where I think it's better if you can do all the admin paperwork as soon as possible by confirming your place at uni, confirming accommodation. Obviously, here in Samuel's case, it went smoothly because he prepared all these far in advance since almost April. Same with the student's finance, because I've learned via my first child. So within a week before the bank holiday weekend, everything was done so we could have separated things together as a family, which is smoothly. So my advice will be, if your teen got his A-level results and his first choice uni place, yeah, proceed to all the admin, check up the emails, 
ask your teen to do it because it's not you as a parent to do it for them, but be there to supervise, check, recall, remind, because it's very important to remind and ensure that they have ticked the list with my two We've done a list of what to do and tick it as you go. And then when everything is is done, everybody can enjoy their time together because it's also important to make the most of the leftover summer break you've got together or the time you've got together might have been working over the summer holidays. So it's quite precious that weekend time we've got now until they go to uni because obviously for everybody yeah. – it's going to be an emotional roller coaster again. <laughs> Absolutely, of course. So that's incredibly valuable. So you're saying really the second you get the results, prioritize the admin, get in, yeah. answer the emails. Absolutely. Get your to-do list. So I, I'm assuming you did your to-do list in advance of the results. Yeah, we did a bit over the summer holidays because I was saying to my second teen, Samuel, what would happen if you don't have your air results? There is the way to go through clearing. If you don't get your first choice university, then you have to call on the day these other universities who can suggest you other courses yeah. according to availability. So you need to have a plan B really, but also it's a way to prepare your team just in case off um, yeah. because you might come back from the A-level exams period in May, June saying, yeah, I've done well in that one or less in this one, or I've smashed it, or I think I'm doing okay. But you never be prepared of the A-level results day. And we know from the court from last year as well, because Louis was all online, the exams, and there were lots of surprises with the assessments done. So always be prepared for the worst scenario. So you can have a positive attitude towards it. That's how I embrace it with my two. And uh, yeah, we prepared it over like July, August, smoothly thinking, what can you do if you can't do this? And think about the list to do. But again, because I had the eldest child doing it, I knew what the process will be. Again, when it's happening smoothly, I have got friends who have learned things as well when they're going through clearing what to do next or couldn't get accommodation. And thirdly, I advise all parents to get hooked on the I wish I knew about university Facebook group where you got lots of tips and advices from parents whose children are going to university thinking about that pathway of orientation but also there are some students there who are giving some good advices too oh so yeah there's a way to prepare tell me the name of the Facebook group again I wish I knew about university so it's w-i-k-a-u I think it is the abbreviation so you can join in the group by being invited by somebody. For example, I was invited by a friend who had a child at university before. So she invited me to this group, but they give wise and ample information about everything from university choice to apprenticeship, to clearing, to accommodation, to how to do your list uh, for things to do, to discounts on students' products. Yeah transport, railway cards, discount for students, what to do in case of birthdays, what to do in case of issues, problems, sexual assaults, everything is treated wow. on that on that trustworthy Facebook group. Yeah, it's a like Kavian Dali Baba, I would say. Uh, <laughs> use it ample. 
but also use as well your network uh, circle of friends, children um, or parents who have been already at university, even alumni students. I have wise advice from students from different universities. So it gives you that broad horizon of everything, but also for your teens to embrace that time because it can be doubting. Oh, wow. You know, the stage from GCSE to A-level to sixth form is huge. This is even bigger because you're leaving home, you're leaving your family nest. For some of the teens, they haven't traveled by themselves or they haven't done things by themselves or they haven't been able to do, you know, the casual everyday things by themselves. So it's a big step to go further. But it's a yeah. great learning experience, definitely. That's brilliant. Such such valuable advice. And to be honest, when when we were thinking about shaping a show around going to university, our temptation was, of course, to ask those heading off. But we actually thought it's more valuable talking to parents like you who've been through it so that you can share your best tips. And would you say, so between last year's experience with your first son and this year's experience, do you think you've learned a lot of lessons? Absolutely. As parents, we keep educating ourselves via the children, (laughs) don't we? (laughs) Different system, different year, different conditions. Last year was still COVID regulations. So there were lots of line sessions at uni, how to support your teens going through lectures online my eldest were very was very lucky because he had loads of sessions face to face at uni uh, within the engineering building with the workshops happening as well so that was very motivating for him uh, obviously and it was a great way to meet friends for others who had only online sessions that was pretty tough and i know some friends or friends teens who actually quit uni or some who have redone their year because you have to take all that into parameter that everybody learns different ways. So it has been quite difficult. And yes, you learn from your first child, knowing that the second teen is different. Each individual is different. So you might approach things differently, but also each university has got a way to prepare the students differently. Now I know probably more how to search the information via the uni website, but also I will encourage everybody to prepare fine advance by logging on the website, check the online webinar. Some open days are still online, some open days are on site. So if your child knows which pathway they want to go to and which you know, some roughly university they want to go to, I will encourage that you can start the open days this year if you're in year 12, or even if you're in year 11, go and visit the university, have got a feeling for it, student, but also parents, discuss with the student ambassador, check the webinars online, there are loads of them, check the updated information and news on the university website. Now, obviously, it's like the restart of the academic year, more and more university are highlighting more news starting from September after the uh, results and clearing process. So I've recently discovered, for example, in both university of my two boys, that there are loads of conferences which I've encouraged them to attend, conferences related to their studies, to a specific topic, which I say to them, do it if you can, if your lectures are not happening during the same hours of those conferences, because that will bring you a different perspective of your studies. Yes, you've got the lectures, but you still have got the research for it. So this is, I was not able to do that last year, because obviously 
you 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 don't tell the timetable of your teenager. They've got a login with their, an application directly to the university. It's the same at school with the Google form and Google connection. So, you know, they've got their own lecture. They've got their own relationship with their own lectures. Um, same with the exams preparation. Sometimes you're thinking, hey, ho, what's the date of your exams? So sometimes your team will share that with you. Some others will not. So you just have to... Be well connected if you can with your teen, but also trying to keep that communication open all through the year because they go through different stages. There's no no teen who is not homesick. And even if they won't tell you, they do feel it. And you'll learn that with other friends. I also encourage when you're moving in uh, your teen in the accommodation, try to speak with the other flatmates who are going to share the corridor with them it happened to me a couple of times when we went to Nottingham to visit Louis, ended up my meeting one, two, three or four. There were eight per corridor and it was great. You pop in the kitchen, have a cup of tea and just say hello. And then you get to know and meet all the other teenagers there as well. And one of the girls say to me, oh, yeah, I feel homesick last weekend and it was not nice. So yeah. there are lots of bits and pieces you can do to help your child all through the year. But sometimes it's not easy because they want to live their own life. And I would say, so let the door open and they will come back to you whenever, you know, it's needed. Brilliant, Marie. So, so is finding accommodation easy for first years? Is it generally pretty formulaic? So I would say the UCAS process application for university is obviously advertised with each school at different set of dates, time to send through your definite application for the five university of choices. For my two boys, the, the ultimate date was the 5th of December. So we visited some uni. I've done lots of webinar online. Also that first term, we prepared the personal statement and I will encourage to have it all finished before end of November, even before the mock season starts for the A-level. Then uh, once you have received uh, your five uh, university unconditional or conditional offers, you have by April to definite your first two choices universities. For my two boys, we definitely encourage them to book an accommodation for their first choice uni and pay the deposit straight away by May. So we knew they had something along with their first choice uni. So that is one opportunity. Now, it differs regarding uh, the uh, universities. I know for Bath, Birmingham, for example, Exeter and others, uh, there is a long wait to receive the accommodation confirmation after uh, their A-level results when they confirm their first place uni choice. There are, there are possibility to discuss with the student union if you don't find the accommodation and the accommodation uh, phone line right away. But otherwise, yes, book your accommodation straight away before the summertime and before you start your exams as well, A-level exams in May, June, and then confirm it as soon as you got your A-level uh, choice. Usually the first year, all university offers accommodation on site, on campus or on site nearby the university. That's a rule number one by all universities. But some universities have got more students than others. So the waiting list could be quite long. Uh, I have got friends who were studying, their teens were studying in Bath and they only received the accommodation offers by mid-September. 
So that's quite stressful because they, they don't know where they're going to be. And they ended up by going, living in the city centre and commuting, having this extra cost of transport to go to uni bath, for example. But the process is usually quite simple. So you book your accommodation, you can join, you can see the profile of each of your flight mates as well, whether it's a group of five or six or eight or even 10 per corridor. So that's quite good because you can choose per affinities, for example, according to the profile of student. And then when that accommodation is firmly booked after your A-level results, both Louis and Samuel had the opportunity to chat with their flatmates, which obviously break the ice and they ended up by meeting virtually text, WhatsApp, you name it, all their social media tricks. And they organized as well amongst each other for the freshest week. Um, so they knew that they had buddies to go to, I don't know, whatever clubs or societies they want to join in, or the nightclubs or the events organizing by university. So yeah, process is quite easy with all the technology nowadays. I mean, these squad of teenagers have got so much wide opportunities to grasp, so just great. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. These groups, believe me, parents, we don't know what's going on behind the scene. <laughs> you can see the of who is going to share the corridor with your teen, and that's about it, really. <laughs> then it's the teenagers who decided or not to tell about you about it or not. <laughs> That's and that's fair enough. I suppose it's that wrench for freedom, isn't it? And it, it's kind of well deserved. So we'll take a little break now, Marie. Okay. Back. We've got more questions that we want to pick your brains about about shopping supplies, washing, cooking, all these kind of details that that cause a little bit of stress when our children move away. Okay. Perfect. Thank you, Lydia. So welcome back to The Parents Show on Mix 92.6. We're delighted to have Marie Baker-Madek joining us. And she's a local mom of two boys, one who's at uni and one is about to go off. So we're picking her brains about all the top tips for us parents to try and get our head around this huge milestone in our children's lives. So Marie, my next question for you is, so you've got accommodation booked, you've done all the paperwork, you have an idea who's sharing the corridor with with your child. So at what point do you do the big shopping trip and what do you buy? So firstly, we obviously have got um, a bit of idea of how your teen will eat and kind of live depending on how what they're doing at home already. I must say I trained into brackets my two boys early age to cook, clean, wash, vacuum clean and etc. Do their beds and etc. But um I would advise you in terms of the food shopping to keep practical. Yes, they will eat lots of pasta and rice, depending on how much money they've got at the end of each month. But also having, you know, jars of tins to have it, baked beans, tomatoes or anything like that handy. We did the big shopping the day we uh, help moving in. The, my eldest at uni so that was a way to also get to know the area and which type of uh, supermarkets were around or local little shops so um, that was quite good fun while having lunch all together afterwards so we stocked like with like toilet what papers and tin boxes and pastas and drinks anything heavy as well uh, as products so they don't have to carry all that later on but then they quickly learn how to store all this food in their little cabinet in the kitchen. They don't have much room at the student hall. Usually it's two cabinets per person plus one floor, one stage, sorry, 
one shelf in the fridge and one shelf in the freezer. So there's no much really. Um, so they can't stock up with lots of food, but that enables them to go out and do their food shopping. Sometimes collecting, washing and doing it. Is, is this a thing uh, or are there not laundrettes on, on site? Not in our household. Like I say, I've trained them well beforehand. I will encourage them to live their life independent life fully. So there is obviously there are washing machines and dryer on site at uni. Uh, nowadays, uh, actually, it's via an app. They pay in advance and they can use it with their mobile phone. So that makes it easier, life easier. My eldest used to do his washing machine on a Sunday, plus his sporty boy like Samuel would be as well. So they know that they can't have stinky clothes on, isn't it? <laughs> Um, so they do it and then they put their washing machine on they do something else they come back to put in a dryer easy process when it's the nice weather my elders used to hang his clothes on an area which we bought some parents get a bit like more up to beat by buying an electrical one which is not necessarily accepted in some uni bedrooms because it can represent a danger safety wise in terms of electricity and also you have to consider the electricity bills this year how the rate will be but it's all included anyway in university halls Louis was going to share a house. He's still going to have a normal area because it's easy to just um, wash your clothes and put it outside to dry or like the camping stuff do, uh, hang out a big line outside in between two trees. That does the trick too. They know how to wash the clothes. So teach them that at home before, the summer before they leave. Just teach them, tell them, you know, gives an incentive if necessary. My two now do not ask money to do all these home tasks. It's a long-term process and it's something you do from time to time. And they do it without having a conflict with you as a parent because they know that they will have to do it themselves. So washing, no. Um, obviously, when they come back for Christmas, for example, Easter, yeah, I did ask my eldest to bring everything back home, but I did ask him, for example, to wash his shower curtain directly at university and shower mats and things like that and bed sheets directly at uni and all this stuff stays there. You don't need to bring them back home. It's not to give them back a service. I don't think so because they need to learn by themselves as well, the cost of the washing. And when they're going to share a house in the second year, they're going to live with another person or other five other person or in case of Louis, eight other person. So they will have to accept to take turns to do their washing, to create a rota, to help each other as well. You know, if it's, you've got washing outside and it's raining, why not taking the washing of your friend back in? It's part of the community life and it's very important to learn to do that. So mine, no. And if even if they are home, they do their own washing. You've got your basket there do your own washing. It sounds harsh maybe for some parents, but that's how I've been grown up and that's how we're educating our kids as well, uh, being independent. So it's not a massive task to do. They learn it as they go and then realise that there are others like them. And if they've never done that at home, they will do it one day or the other. Yeah. <laughs> and let's face it, it's not rocket science. I think, yeah. they, they, I think they can manage it. But from what you're saying, Marie, it feels like, the sooner you start, the better, because you don't want to yeah. kind of do everything for your kids until the summer before they go to university and then let them just drop off a cliff. You, you, you need to be putting some stepping stones in place in advance. Remember that toddlerhood period when they're little and to, a way to occupy them within the home when it's the bad weather, you can't go outside or etc. 
I used to play with the washing machine with my kids when they were baby, dragging them in the washing basket. And then we were playing with socks. And that was a way to do math, counting your socks, the colors, putting them in pairs, learning how to fold. There's lots of way to teach them to do these house calls, which is later in life. It's, it's, not a, it's not a core to do. It's not a bad thing to do. It's a thing you have to do. And um, it saves money as well. Like I said to them, one day if you earn enough money, you can have a house cleaner and somebody who does everything for you. But for the time being, you want to save money. No one is going to do that for you. If you want me to do for it, I'm charging you like a house cleaner. But then you will learn that that money, you won't have it to go out. So you choose. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's it, it, it's just great. It's great to be thinking ahead about this kind of stuff. We're rapidly running out of time. So I just want to pop a couple of more quick questions for you, Marie. Yeah. How So Freshers Week, you, you, you said everybody's favorite word about going to university. It's it's brilliant. It's lots of fun. But when it's over, I mean, have you talked to your boys about mm. getting a routine, a study routine, or yeah. do they know what to do themselves? I think that Freshers' Week is mainly vital, depending to which degree each teen is taking it on board to make friends, whether you will have got affinities of sports, theatre, drama, art, music, etc., uh, to do with other people on the campus. So that is a, a, a one thing to do. There are lots of activities organised by um, student ambassadors and student union on the campus during that week of Freshers' Week, but there's the time as well for you to enrol in clubs and societies which I will encourage everyone uh, to do it. And don't be shy, be brave. You might be alone at that university, but you're soon going to meet friends via that uh, Freshers' Week. I would also encourage them not to feel pressurized by peer pressure, going out to nightclubs and drinking if you're not up for it. And judge how you, who you are yourself, so keep that in mind, what you want to do, what to expect for it. But afterwards, Louis, for example, has a timetable nine to five every day, Monday to Friday. So quite heavy programs straight away, but then you engage academically straight away. Samuel has already got his timetable and uh, yeah, from the Monday nine o'clock, he has to do things. The following day, it's part of the Freshers' Fair to get involved in clubs and societies. And then it's linked with other things with the academic as well. So I would say to the teens, yes, enjoy yourself. Just be yourself. Um, make friends, just see with who you want to stay, who you don't want to stay. You don't need to do everything. You don't need to go out every day and drink and be aware that there is the weekend or the Sunday or whatever to rest and then you start your lectures right away. So embrace everything you can, but don't overdo it as well because you will soon realize that yes, you have to grab the lectures and yes, you have to have independent learning and and yeah, just keep in touch with the lecturers, keep in touch with the student union, make sure you look after yourself and your well-being. That is very important to start with. And also talk to your parents as much as you can. There's some teens who realize this is not for them and lots of them dropped after the first couple of months. And that's OK. You know, it's OK to say no and it's OK to say it's not for me. It's OK to drop. It's OK to change courses because you can do that in some uni you can change course you can also go back to foundation year if you think that your lectures are you're feeling that your lectures are a bit too much academically wise 
there's nothing wrong to go to a foundation year. It's not a fact of being stupid or going one lower grade down, not at all. Just make things which are suitable for you, which are enjoyable for you, which are good for you because you need to feel good about yourself. And that's what I'm saying to my two boys. Just stay, be yourself, stick with friends, never go alone anywhere. Ensure you'll stay safe, whatever you're doing during that freshest week. We heard about lots of spike drinks in all cities last year. Maybe two or three made the highlight on the news, but it happens everywhere. I don't. I say to mine, okay, you're drinking, fine, okay, don't overdo it, but don't take drugs because there's so many chemical things nowadays that you never know what leads up to. Um, some have experienced during the festival. Unfortunately, I had a bad experience so far. I don't think mine have, but you never know. <laughs> uh, drinking, okay, fine, they're going to be drunk, they're going to be having a blast, um, but just know your limit. But also embrace every opportunities and keep in touch with anyone, family members, friends, student unions. That's my advice during that freshest week. And there are lots of safety nets, you know, during this university freshest week. Lots of them I've highlighted last year that they were a way to get into the library to feel safe if anything happened to them in the town centre. But my elders always said we always sticked in a group of three, four, five, six, seven, eight, and we always went out together. And boys were looking after girls and vice versa. So that's part of the education you've given from home, which stays with them. Just encourage them to respect the other and stay and stick with each other because this freshness we could turn the wrong way in some occasion. And we don't want that to happen because in university is all about your life and your independence and your freedom. So, yeah, be safe. Yeah, absolutely. Wise words and great advice there, Marie, for all our parents in the local area who are preparing their children to go to university or indeed next year. You know, this is, it, in fact, it, it, you know, there's a big lead in time and the sooner you start preparing, the better by the sense of things. Yeah, definitely. Same with the student finance. You know, you go through the government website, apply for it already way back. I think it was March, April, somewhere like that as well. There are some deadlines of application. Don't miss the deadlines of application. Keep on top of the emails from university, the webinars, the open days, pencil in your calendar. This is part of the organization with your teens. Some feel like because they're at school, everything is organized, not in sixth form because they are more independent and it starts earlier, even from GCSEs. But all get, get organized. Yes, we're living with technology, but also have a calendar, have that in your student union. You know, it's no wrong to pick up a pencil and colorful, um, <laughs> colorful uh, markers and student finance book it in early, send your bank details to them so you ensure that you're finance your money according to the loan you're obtaining get into your bank account because you have to organize yourself within installment dates of the payment of your accommodation so mum and dad could always be behind for sure <laughs> but it's also part of the learning process to know about budgeting your life you know from the food shopping from the washing machine from the going out time from your hobbies, from buying clothes or anything else to paying for your accommodation. So that's part of a learning which you can do at home softly and nicely and gently, 
way back before you know your end of your sixth form and it's part of the also communication with the parents because talking about money sometimes could be taboo some students have read in that um, special facebook group have used all their student loan the first year haven't worked over the summer so when you're a single parent or parents divorce or anything this is quite difficult um so yeah just prepare yourself for all this in advance Fantastic, Marie. I, I think that our parents are going to get so much value from the tips. It's it's whether they're listening live to 92.6 or indeed listening to a podcast a year from now. Thanks a million for taking the time to think all this through and help us get our head around a, a big transition in everybody's life. And and a bit emotional. I'm not, I'm not shy to say so. So far, I'm okay. I'm very happy, but it's going to be emotional to find a house without our two teens yeah. with whom we've done lots of things. So embrace yourself, everyone, but enjoy. Yeah. And this is another chapter, positive chapter in life, you know, seeing your children growing up, becoming adults. Absolutely. Marie, thanks so much for joining us on The Parents Show and sharing your advice. You're welcome, Lydia. Thank you very much all as well. And good luck for everyone, whatever you're undertaking from September onwards. Hello and welcome to The Parents Show on Mix 92.6. I'm Lydia el And I am Seema Barker and uh, we are delighted to be with you. And uh, we've got something uh, very different this evening. And we're kind of getting stuck into the, the idea of training uh, for to be a lawyer and what different paths you can take. And I think this will be really interesting for parents of children who are either doing GCSE, A-level, or in fact, who have done their first degree. So I'm really pleased to be joined by Jessica Smith, who joined Raiden Solicitors as a trainee solicitor in September 2019 and qualified as a solicitor in March of 2021. Jessica, a warm welcome to The Parents Show. Thank you very much for having me. It's lovely to have you on. And I'd really like to hear a little bit more about yourself. Tell us about yourself. Of course. So I am a solicitor currently practicing at Raiden Solicitors. I am based in the St Albans office and I practice all areas of family law. So that covers sort of divorce, finances, children, disputes, adoption, prenuptial agreements, everything that you can think of that is is under the umbrella of family law. So I currently live in Bedford and I commute to work. I'm doing a couple of days in the office and a couple of days at home every week. Yeah, that's me. Fantastic. And tell us, Jessica, I mean, tell us how you got to be a solicitor. What route did you take? Was it the normal route? Yes. So I took the traditional route to qualification. So that consisted of lots of different stages of sort of education and then gaining work experience. So I firstly did an an undergraduate degree. I did that in business management at Leeds University. So that meant that after I'd finished my degree, I had to do what's known as a graduate diploma in law, which is known as the law conversion. And that's because I didn't do a law degree at university. Um, So just, just to clarify, you don't have to do a law degree to become a lawyer. But in the current way that that, that I qualified, it meant that I had to do an additional year of training to, to basically give me the legal knowledge that I needed to be a lawyer. So once I'd completed that, I then went on to do a practice course, which is basically all of the skills that you would need to be a lawyer. That's an additional year of training. And then I went on to do my two year training contract. 
in I did it at Raiden Solicitors, but you can you can, most law firms do offer training contracts. And within that two years, um, you have to do 12 additional days of training, which is known as a professional skills course. So overall, I did three years at uni, one year of the GDL, one year of the LPC, and then a two-year training contract. So it's quite a long period to qualify. That obviously is now changing because there's now, as of September 2021, the Solicitors Regulation Authority has introduced a new route to qualification, which now anyone going through the process of wanting to become a lawyer, that is the process that they will go through going forward. So that is all. There's a lot there. So um, let's see if we can break this down a little bit. So actually, your your degree is your degree. Mm-hmm. And anybody can go and do that. They can do a law degree. But if they don't do a law degree, as you didn't, you are able to essentially convert. So get those basic legal, the basic legal knowledge that you need. And that was that kind of, that was the that, that first postgraduate course that you did and then after that you did the legal practice course is that still what it's called and you did the legal practice course and that gives you all the practical skills of being a lawyer and so that was a year is that right that's correct yeah fantastic and then after that and I'd just like to to ask you about this bit in a bit more detail because some uh, people just might not have this kind of knowledge but when you did your two years and it's called a training contract so that means you're employed at a solicitor's firm and and you were with Raiden's you're employed at a solicitor's firm and but you're not just doing family law then so can you just explain that for for our parents or young people that are, are listening and interested in in a potential career in law yeah so the training contract a, tradi- a traditional training contract is is two years long and you would do four different seats so basically four different areas of law within that two years and usually that would be six months in each different area of law and obviously it depends what your law firm offers in terms of which area that you will areas that you will do for your training contract and most for most people it's really useful because it means that they have an opportunity to get experience and in four different areas and then at the end if they it helps them to, to choose what they want to do long term because ultimately a lot of people when they join a law firm and they start their training contract they won't know which area of law that they actually want to specialize in so that's the sort of purpose of a training contract is that you get this wide experience in in different areas of law and then you can choose at the end where you want to qualify yeah no that sounds fantastic actually and so you obviously and then you while you were doing your training contract I suppose explaining what that means you're actually working I mean, that, that's yeah. the thing, isn't it? You, it is a qualification, but you're actually there meeting clients. Yeah, you're, you're employed by the firm and you're carrying out legal work, obviously under supervision because you're not yet qualified, but you're, you're meeting clients, you're drafting documents, you are going to court, you're going to meetings with clients and other experts. Most firms will have a really good training program where you're, you're exposed to lots of different things just so that they can make sure that you're getting the experience that you need so that when you do qualify, you are well equipped. Yeah, that's fantastic. So that's really good to to hopefully that's broken it down for, for our listeners. So Jessica, we're really keen to speak to you about the changes that are taking place um, in how people will train to be a lawyer from, from this point on if they're interested uh, in a career in being a solicitor. Okay, so the Solicitors Regulation Authority has introduced a new route to qualify as a solicitor. So where previously you would have had to do a degree 
and a practice course and then your two-year training contract it now just has four four very distinct requirements so th- those are number one a degree in any subject so whether that's law or any other degree that you would choose to, to study two passing two exams which are now known as the solicitor's qualifications examinations they are written by the sra and they are standardized across the board so everyone will be sitting exactly the same exams and then number three you you still need two years of qualifying work experience but it's now much more flexible in that you don't have to do it with one law firm you can do it in up to four different with up, up to four different organizations and it doesn't have to be a, a specific training contract format it can be paralegal experience time spent advising in student law clinics when you're at university, volunteering at a law centre or a sort of citizens advice bureau um, and also any placements that you do within your degree are also relevant. So that two years of of work experience is, is much more flexible now than doing your specific two years employed with a law firm. And that's the main the main change of this new route. And Jessica, personally, what do you think about it? I think it's it's good because it obviously means that everyone who is being admitted as a solicitor is being assessed sort of consist- consistently and because the exams are standardised, everyone is going to have the same sort of baseline knowledge. I think that's really good. I also think it opens up the profession to people that may not have considered it previously because there's this new way of gaining work experience and training contracts are notoriously difficult to obtain and they're very competitive and I think now that this two years isn't isn't making applications to specific firms for a job for two years and people have the flexibility to gain experience in different areas and don't need to necessarily get that two-year employment contract as they would have had to, to do prior to this September so I think it's just basically opening up the profession which which is positive it does indeed sound positive. And I think that'll be great news for parents because I, th- I think so many parents want their children to go down the r- law route. You know, it's such a great profession. It's solid. It's, you know, it's very prestigious. So it's great news that actually what you do at degree level or even immediately after degree level doesn't define your professional path for good. So that that's really, really good news for parents out there. And why why do you think they made the changes or why do you think they were needed? I think the, the length of time to qualify as a solicitor, it, like I said, it's, it's years and years of education and then years of experience on top of that. And it's really difficult to do your, your training contract at the same time as, that you're, as you're in education because the, the studying just takes up so much time and, and obviously brain power. So it, it, I think it's it's reducing the length of overall time, but it's also this standardisation. So the SRA now are in charge of the exams and what people need, what standard people need to be at to qualify. Whereas before, the exams were run by individual universities and other education establishments, and, and they were sort of setting their own bar. So now I think everyone will be at a, a specific level, um, which is a good baseline for everyone to start at. I mean, I love the idea that they've opened the profession up. I love the idea that there are different routes now in. I know that some of the larger firms are offering legal apprenticeships so that young people can even access this over a much longer period, obviously. But after they've done their A-levels directly because they might not be able to afford to go to university. I mean, I think these are great things in a profession that has really 
been very traditional in my own experience, but also been seen to be very traditional and rigid. So I'm really glad. And one thing I think we are coming to the end of the interview, but I'd just like you to clarify for our listeners is that what we're talking about today is progressing to being a solicitor, but that's different from being a barrister. And actually, very simply and briefly, could you explain the difference between a barrister and solicitor for our listeners, please? Yeah, so both solicitors and barristers are sort of under the umbrella of, of a lawyer. And a lot I get a lot of questions asking what's the difference between a lawyer and a solicitor and a barrister. So both solicitors and barristers are technically lawyers, but they are very different professions and they, they require very different training. So a solicitor is the person that has day-to-day conduct of a file dealing with a client day-to-day, answering queries, preparing documents for them, preparing for court hearings, and very much the client's port of call. Barristers are generally instructed by solicitors to do the advocacy work. So that's representing a client in court. And they're the ones that stand on their feet and talk to judge and, and put a client's position and case across to a judge in court and also provide specialist advice because they are experts in their field. So that's that they are very different professions. And, and, and in summary, a solicitor works with a client on a day-to-day basis and has more involvement and sort of knows the client better. Barristers will pick up, pick up cases, different cases each day, but they're the ones that are in court and acting on behalf of clients when, when they're in court and put, putting their case across. That's great. I think it's great to hear that. I think I think um, for 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 my age parent, you know, it's watching LA Law and Ali McBeal and things like that where where the lawyers there, they just do everything. So, you know, and and they're called lawyers, of course. And so we we don't quite distinguish between the solicitors who are more client-based and actually the barristers who are the ones who are generally donning the wigs and going into court. So, that is great to have that. And really, uh, I think it's great to that you've been able to explain that quite simply to our parents. And it's been absolutely lovely to speak with you today, Jessica. So thank you very much for joining us on The Parent Show this evening. And best of luck with your career in law. Great. Thank you very much for having me.